Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 3. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, and the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of, my, of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious, merciful, all-powerful God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you have revealed yourself to your people, that we have here the prayers of your anointed king, David, that it reveals to us who you are, how we ought to relate to you. But Lord, we need your spirit to make it alive, to give us ears to hear, hearts receptive to your word, that we might receive your grace. Lord, would you grant that to us today? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we're continuing in our sermon series on the Psalms, uh, we have now come to Psalm 3, and it is the first time you'll notice in your Bible that there is a title, and not a title that was added by the ESV or the NASB or whatever Bible you might have. Uh, Oftentimes, those titles are given. Uh, You can see maybe in yours, mine says, Save Me, O God, is the title of the psalm. But below that, it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Not all the psalms include a title, a a place to remind us uh, when this was written, why it was written, who wrote it. Uh, But this one does, and many of them will in the weeks ahead. Uh, The next week, if you look ahead, it tells us this is for the uh, choir master with the string of instruments, a psalm of David. So we know David wrote it and that it was in particular a song that was going to be sung with stringed instruments. But here we have this prayer and it tells us the context in which it takes place. It is no surprise that as we went through the first two psalms, we were introduced to some uh, key themes that are going to go throughout the Psalter. And this one really harkens back to what we heard last week from Psalm chapter 2. If you weren't here, or if you don't remember, Psalm chapter 2 went on and on about the glorious reign of the Lord's anointed king. How the wicked had plotted against him but that he would be victorious over them, that he would break them with a rod of iron. And we see some of that language picking up here now as there are people who are plotting against the Lord's anointed king, David. And so we are building this continued theme from Psalm 2 in now to Psalm 3 as we look at this, really, a prayer. Now, the Psalms were used primarily as songs in the tabernacle of David, but... They also are often prayers recorded for us, not necessarily just for singing, but are recorded to say, here is the prayer that David prayed 
It's not just a song he wrote, but this is something that he said to God and recorded for us by his inspiration, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That it is indeed the word of God to instruct us about who he is and how we ought to relate to him. But the context in which David makes this prayer is from 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you're not familiar with the story of David and Absalom, David had become king and he had some pretty strange family problems. Now, David had many, many sons and daughters uh, with different wives that he had over his span of being a king. And one of his sons was named Absalom. He's the third born son of his wife, Maka. Okay? Uh, now, Absalom had gotten into a, a bit of a conflict with one of his uh, half-brothers from another mother. And uh, this other man seduced one of his sisters. And a couple of years later, Absalom vindicated her her honor by going and killing this man. And that displeased David because this man killed one of David's sons. And now his sons are killing each other. And this wrong that was done was made even worse now that there was murder on top of it. And so Absalom was kind of exiled for a while. And he eventually was able to come back into Jerusalem. But he wasn't allowed to come back into David's house. Now, well, we don't want to get into too much of the weeds of all the things that are going on here. All we know is that this is almost like an episode of Jerry Springer, right? There's just so much happening. So many terrible things have happened. And the Absalom finds himself under the displeasure of his father, David. And so what he did is he ended up standing at the gate of the king's house. And when people would come up to get counsel, to get judgment from the king, he would subvert David. Say, well, there's nobody here to listen to you, but man, if I was king, I would care a lot. And I would listen, and I would judge. And he would embrace the people as they went on their way, and he began to win the hearts of the people of Israel and to subvert his father's rule. Well, this continued on for a time until Absalom realized he had gained quite a following, and he came up with a plot got himself a chariot and a bunch of men, and they went in to go and take the throne. David heard about this, and he was scared. He knew that he could easily have been defeated without preparations to defend himself against Absalom. No doubt he probably had influenced people in places that would have let him into the king's house, that would have brought him into a place where he would have been vulnerable for an attack. And so David flees. David has realized the people's hearts have turned away from him and instead are following after his son Absalom. And so he flees to save his life. And it is in this flight where David says this prayer. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Verses 1 through 2. There is this conflict. This is our first point. We're looking at the conflict that David finds himself in. He sees that literally many people are rising up against him. Now this is the anointed king of Israel. The one who Samuel anointed with the oil. Who is the rightful one to sit on the throne. 
He has many foes now. They're rising up against him. There's sedition. But look at the accusation they make to him. They are saying of my soul, which is another word you could use for life. There is no salvation for him in God. Put it another way. God won't defend him. God won't deliver him. Clearly, whatever anointing David had has now passed. He is no longer the anointed one of Israel. Now we have a new king, Absalom. There's no salvation for David. We will get him. His life is ours. His soul will not be saved. God will not protect him. This is what David is being bombarded with. This is the uh, campaign slogan for Absalom for king. David's old news. Get him out. We need this king, Absalom. Now, if you go and look at a description of Absalom, it is shockingly similar to the description of Saul. He was a big guy. He was good looking. He was what you would expect for a powerful king, somebody that people could get behind, a charismatic leader, if you will. And remember, David was the lowliest of the shepherds in his family. He wasn't even brought in to be looked at by Samuel when he came to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And Absalom exploited this point. Look, this weak old man, David, he was never even that strong. And yet Absalom had this look to him, this air about him, that he is the kind of king that people really would want. And he convinced the people to follow him. And so David knows that the tides have turned, that the winds are blowing in the wrong direction, and he hides and he cries out to the Lord, tells him about his circumstance, but then he makes this great confession. So we have the conflict, and then we have this great confession. But you, O Lord, they say these things about me, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Remember, David is called a man after God's own heart. Throughout David's life, we see these points where we see David in this wonderful faithfulness, these great expressions of his dependence on God, how he knows who the Lord is and the steadfast love that he has poured out on him. And that is where he is finding Comfort. That is where he is finding his source of strength. This is his great confession of faith. The Lord is his shield. Indeed, he was probably real armored up. Right? This is a man who led military conquests. This is a man who has soldiers around him. They no doubt had shields and spears and all sorts of other things to protect themselves. But David knew that it was the Lord who would be his protector, the one who would stop the weapons of his enemies. Not only that, the Lord is his glory. He finds his glory. He finds his purpose. He finds everything about who he is and his identity with the Lord. He knows he was this lowly shepherd boy who was anointed king who was raised up, who had received this great privilege to rule over God's people. He confesses that he doesn't have his own glory, but it only comes from the Lord. He glories in the Lord. 
He also confesses that it is the Lord who is the lifter of his head. I can't imagine how discouraged David must have been in this situation. His own son subverting his rule. The people he probably trusted most turning from him and joining with this man. I'm sure he was full of despair and discouragement. Like a little child who has their head down crying in the corner, the Lord is the one who comes and lifts up his head. In the midst of his discouragement, in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of his fleeing for his life, it is the Lord who raises up his head and assures him that he is with him. He confesses that the Lord heard his prayer, that he answered him from his holy hill. The Lord is there. He knows what is happening. David is putting this confession of faith out there as this great confidence he has. Indeed, he lives in a world in which there are numbers at play. If Absalom has this many men and he has this many men and, you know, there might be this showdown that's going to take place. But that's not where David has confessed his allegiance and that is not where he puts his confidence. And this is where we see in verse 5, our third point, confidence. We have the conflict and we have this great confession, but then we see that his confession is not mere words, but that it is one that leads to great confidence. I lay down and slept. I woke again, and the Lord sustained me. One of my very low on the list uh, hobbies is to think about uh, preppers. You guys know what prepping is and doomsday preppers? You can read all these scenarios and all these things you should have in case, you know, societal collapse happens. But one of the things that you see on some of these different lists is that basically you have to have a plan where you are always ready for the unexpected. Going down to sleep is a very dangerous thing to do unless you know you have somebody else who's awake. You are fleeing from a military attack. Absalom and these men chasing after David. It would be hard to find the ability to sleep. You know it would make you vulnerable. Indeed, it is is before this that David at one point comes up to Saul when he was pursuing him and found him when he was asleep. To be asleep is to be vulnerable. To be Unconscious. Anybody could do anything. You wouldn't even know it's happening. You might not wake up again once you put your head on the pillow. But David knows the Lord. He knows he is the shield. He knows he is the one who is in control. And it gives him the ability to have the confidence to go to sleep. To lay down his head. To find rest in God. Lo and behold, he wakes up and the Lord has sustained him. It's not that the night watch had sustained him. It's not that he found a really good hiding spot. It's that the Lord sustained him. And it builds his confidence even further. I will not be afraid, though many thousands of people 
who have set themselves against me all around. It's hard not to always hearken back to Psalm 23. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. To sit down at a table, to take a nap, to find rest while his enemies physically surround him, literally surround him, thousands of people accompanying around him. He will not be afraid. And then he calls the Lord to action. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. I can't imagine a more cringy, painful thought of getting smashed in the mouth where your teeth are broken. And yet this is David's confidence that it is the Lord who will strike his enemies, who will mash their faces with a rod of iron, who will break their teeth in their mouth. It's a vivid imagery. It shows us this strength of the king from Psalm chapter 2, the Lord's rule through his king. And yet we see here, now there is this actual king and he is hiding But his confidence, his ability to rule in this way is that he is leaving it to the Lord to defend him. Indeed, if this actually did take place, if his enemies were struck on the cheek or their teeth were to have been broken, it would have been by the hand of one of his men, if not his own hand. But that would have only been a means through which God used it. It was God who had given him the victory. It would be God who would strike the enemies through his weapons. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 8. Your blessing be on your people. David is in this great conflict and he finds rest in this confession about who the Lord is. It's uh, difficult for us to, you know, interpret this into our own circumstances. Very rarely will we find ourselves fleeing from our son who did all these terrible things and is trying to take our, you know, rule on a throne. But it does hearken to some really practical things for us. We might not be running from military conquests, but there are things in our lives that are difficult for us. There are circumstances in which we feel like we have been wronged. Here, David is an innocent man. He hadn't done anything wrong for Absalom to have done this. We may feel that our circumstances are unjust, But ultimately, what we see in this confession is the reality that we often don't go to the Lord when we have doubts, when we need strength, when we have to find a shield to hide behind, when we want something to lift up our head, something to keep us from being afraid. This is such an extreme example of fear, of uncertainty, of life and death. And yet we see this great faithful response from David. And when I read this psalm and I think, 
how often such little things drive me not to more dependence on the Lord, but more into my own strength, more into other things to find security, to find comfort, to find assurance. I want to lift my own head and say, I can do better. This is an encouragement to us that in all circumstances, we ought to be people who go to the Lord in prayer. Indeed, the Lord knows what's happening, and yet David comes to him anyways and says, Lord, look, my enemies are around me. How many people are rising up against me? The Lord wants us to come to him. He wants to hear our cries for help. He wants to answer us from his holy hill. Where do we go with our problems? And when it counts, do we really turn with this confidence? It's a difficult thing for us to have confidence in the Lord when things are Ambiguous, difficult, when things don't seem to be going our way. Indeed, if we look into the history of this scenario, ultimately Absalom does not kill David, and he goes back to Jerusalem and he reigns for a while. David continues to hide. And some of his closest companions, his chief uh, wise man, if you will, converts over to Absalom. Eventually, he does have victory. In fact, Absalom has this long, beautiful hair, and as he is fleeing, when David comes, his hair gets caught in a tree, and he hangs there until somebody comes and executes him because the Lord won the battle. But what's hard for us as we think about this, it's hard for us to see David and even to know that story and think, yeah, the Lord's going to deliver me from this circumstance. We know that that's just not always true about us. And it's part of the way that we have to come, especially to the book of Psalms that was introduced to us last week, but is particularly important for us now as we move on, is that this is a psalm about how the Lord protects his anointed one, this anointed king, David. Now, when you read this psalm, And we talked about this last week. The first thing we should try to do is understand how this really mattered for David. What was happening there? And I hope that we've done that well. But ultimately, we look to this passage and we see how it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Lord's anointed, the anointed one. That just means Messiah, Christ, the Lord's appointed man. The one who has received the spirit, the king on the throne. I mean, think about this circumstance. Is it not our Lord who, in his moment of need, this great king who had come is surrounded by his enemies, standing before a false king, even the Roman government? He's mocked and ridiculed. After he's hung onto the cross, we're told in Matthew 27, those who passed by derided me, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And so the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. 
He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And now the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. It's not the same echo of the things that our Lord experienced as he, the true king, came in the midst of his enemies, was mocked and ridiculed. Those who surrounded him, even the criminals on his sides, derided him and mocked him and said, there is no salvation for him in God. This psalm points us ahead, not just to the next king to come after David. Indeed, this is a prayer I'm sure many kings used later, but ultimately pointing us ahead to the example we see in Christ. The one who had the very people he came to save turn against him and chose a criminal instead of their king. Jesus, of course, endures perfectly. Jesus, of course, is the one who does not sin, who has full confidence in God. Jesus, of course, defeats his enemies, but in an unexpected way. Indeed, it looks like in the circumstance Jesus lost. It would be as if Absalom actually found David and the Lord wasn't his shield. course, we know that that wasn't the end of the story for our Lord who rose again in three days, who is victorious even over death itself. And this is where we have to find our confidence. This psalm is not telling us if we cry out to God in our discomfort and in our trials that he will necessarily deliver us from those things. Indeed, he can. Indeed, this tells us that he does those types of things. But these are not infallible promises to everybody in God's kingdom. Many a people have been hunted down for belonging to Christ and have died. The Lord did not withhold that circumstance. So what are they to make of this? What is the sermon to be preached to them? Well, there's this interesting character that we find back in the story of Absalom and David and 2 Samuel 15, verse 21, there's a man named Ittai. And he was a recent uh, sojourner who had come to, to Israel. And when David fled, Ittai came with him. And David stopped him and said, look, man, I appreciate your support, but like, you need to go back so you don't die. Like, you're a sojourner. You don't have anything. I don't have anything to give you. It would be better for you to just go back, shut your mouth, be quiet. I'll come back. But what is his response? This is what he says. This man, he's been in Israel for one day. As the Lord lives, and as my Lord, the king lives, that's David, wherever my Lord, the king shall be, wherever, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. Let me say that again. As the Lord lives and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for life or for death, 
there also will your servant be. Look, David, I know you might die. You might live. But as God is my witness, you are my Lord and King, and I will follow you wherever you go. You are the anointed one over the people of God, the King of Israel. He finds his confidence in belonging to the anointed one and seeing the Lord's favor on the anointed one. The promise is for David and those who belong to him receive the benefits. This is how we have to read ourselves into these types of passages. We aren't David in this passage. We aren't the ones hiding from Absalom, but we are those who belong to the Lord's anointed king. Just as Ittai found confidence by belonging to David, whether in death or in life, he wanted to be where David was. He knew David was the rightful king. So it is for us. This psalm points us that our confidence is that we belong to Christ, the one who has been delivered, the one who has been vindicated. Though he was slain by his enemies, God has defended him. And we are under his kingship. So whether in life or in death, whether in hard times or in good times, whether or not the Lord gives us any sort of relief, we can find our confidence. We can find our confession. We can bring all of our conflicts to Jesus Christ, the anointed king. And know that at the end of the day, he is the one who is going to continue to rule and reign, to subdue all of his and our enemies. It is the only way we can transcend our circumstances. It is what David has his confidence in, even as the anointed king. He puts his confidence in the Lord. I don't know if I have the strength to survive, but the Lord is my shield. I don't know if I have the strength to get through my circumstances right now. I don't know if I'm going to find another job. I don't know if that person's going to forgive me. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ died so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I can be where God is, so that I can be brought into his presence, I can be seated at his table. I can long for the day when all of this will be done away with and Jesus Christ will fully rule and reign here and now with us bodily. That I am numbered among his children in the kingdom. That I am an inheritor of all of God's blessings through Christ. This is what the psalm is pointing us to today. In our difficult times, our times where we feel we must cry out, may it cause us to look at our great king, to find our confidence in him, to confess our trust in him, to take those words of Ittai and put them on our own lips. As the Lord lives, my Lord Jesus Christ, he is the king and he lives. Therefore, wherever my Lord and King Jesus Christ will be, whether in death or in life, there so will your servant be. May we be where Christ is. May we seek him in every moment of our days, the times that are most at need. It is why we come here to be reminded, to gather together in his presence, 
to find rest and refuge from our busy, anxious world. We come to be where he is. May we find our confidence there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has conquered his enemies, that we are under his rule and reign, and that despite our circumstances, we can have confidence that he will vindicate us, that he will rescue us, that he will make all things new. Lord, give us confidence. Help us to confess the good confession. Help us to bring our cares to you and to find true rest. Salvation belongs to you. We thank you that you have given it to us through your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.